You're listening to the Pluck Chicken Podcast, where we teach you to stay away from those who say things like this. The first point that we talk to you about being empowered to lead uh, is this, this idea. I want you to know that first, number one, you were born to lead. So you're like, I, I don't see myself as a corporate CEO. I don't see myself as, a, as necessarily an entrepreneur. Some, you do see yourself as that, and you feel like you're trapped in a dead-end role, in a dead-end job. And that you feel that there's more. I, I believe God's going to speak to you and give you visions. He's going to give you dreams about what's next. And then he's going to show you how to gain wisdom as you prepare to move into that. And those who say this. Baptism is intended to be a symbol that symbolizes death into life. It's like a burial followed by a birth. Right. Or this. The Bible says when Jesus held up that bread... On that night with his disciples, he just simply said, this would symbolize my body. As well as those who have never studied Greek, but want you to believe they have. God's plan is for you and I, his people, to live and walk in power. Now this word power is the Greek word dunamis. Dunamis, it's where we get the word dynamite. It's explosive. It's time now to join your hosts pastors Devin Kearns and John Bruss and whoever else they invite as they continue their quest to train you in properly dividing law and gospel and staying away from the sacramentarians. Well, all right, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to another episode of the Plucked Chicken Podcast. And today, on this very snowy day, I am joined by my good friends, Pastor Oakry. Pastor Oakry, how's it going? It's going very well, thank you. And this is a real first for us because of our incredible listeners who donated money to the Plucked Chicken we were able to go purchase a new piece of equipment, and we actually have our very first call-in pastor. Well, he's on Zoom, but we've never been able to do this Close before. Up. This is like uptown. We have with us Pastor Daniel Ross over in Oklahoma. Pastor Ross, how's it going? It's going pretty well. It's uh, warm here right now. Our snow's coming later. Oh, okay. It's, o- it's Oklahoma snow. I'm don't don't even begin to talk about. <laughs> is it. Is that a wussy type snow? Yeah, yeah. It's like it's probably oh, a dusting on the ground, and they're they, they're oh, canceling yeah. school for a week. <laughs> it, it, it's going to be a dusting. Well, we're headed right into the spring break this time, but it's a, it's only going to be a dusting. But uh, because we didn't go shopping yesterday, I can already guarantee you that the the grocery stores are already just wiped out. Bread, milk, eggs. You won't be able to find it. The only people wimpier about snow than Oklahoma are North Carolina. Oh, come on. I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. As soon as you opened your mouth, I thought he's going to make a derogatory statement about the lovely people of North Carolina. And I'm talking all of them. Yeah. I mean, every soul within the boundary of North Carolina. Yeah. But and, and to be fair, it really is Texans. They just if it yeah. if it's slightly cold, they start wrecking into each other. Well, fair. Do, do they even know what snow is? Where? Over the... In North, North Carolina? Carolina. Oh, come yeah. on, man. They've got the mountains up They've got there. the mountains. I mean, at least a third of the state does. Okay. I'm with right. you with the uh, the central part and the uh, eastern part, but uh, yeah, they know so what I snow think, is. I, I think of North Carolina as the south, and you know, and it just never snows in the south. Well, um, it is the south, but, but there's still snow. But it's where God lives. You know, I made that comment not too long ago at this church that I'm serving uh, or have been serving in um, uh, McFarland. Uh, my last Sunday was this past Sunday there. And 
I said something like, uh, you know, that's where God lives in North Carolina. And man, this guy got upset. What? God lives in Kansas. And so just to defuse him, I said, he's got two homes. Okay, he's got a summer home. Yeah. You know, it's, it's all right. It's all right. I, I think if you would check scripture, it's, it's pretty clear. When you are baptized, you become the home of the Holy Spirit. Well, so, um, regardless of where, hashtag, regardless hashtag of where you are. Holy Spirit juke, hashtag oh, God. All right. You know. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> you know, if I push this one button right here, Pastor Ross, he just goes away. <laughs> there's, there's nothing, you know, I could edit this out completely. It's like you I, would. I, I hope we do. We probably are going to. So. <laughs> I'm sure everybody's tuning in so we can talk about which is better, Kansas, Oklahoma, or North Carolina. Well, it's giving the content the subscribers want. Well, it's no big deal. We really don't care. It's quite amazing, though, that uh, you are able to join us uh, here in little old Topeka, uh, which we're very grateful for, because what we're going to be talking about today is something that is pushed very hard in evangelical circles. Some of them don't talk as much about it as others do, but others make a really big deal about it, and that, of course, is God speaking to you, hearing God's voice. And believe me, when I was in the evangelical world, especially uh, in my younger days, uh, this was something that Every Christian wanted. They wanted God to speak to them, to tell them what they are to do in any given situation. Pastor Okri, your wife, came from an evangelical background uh, like myself. Have you ever heard her speak of uh, speak of this and being given, a, a, so to speak, a, a catechesis on this, this incredible doctrine of God speaking to you directly? Well, I think it's... it's never quite a doctrine is it it's just kind of a an approach to faith that's very soft and squishy but you're constantly seeking the lord's input on your life should i do this thing or that thing and and yeah i mean she had that and then she marveled when she discovered that uh, god does speak to us in his word (laughs) and once you find that establishment a lot of this stuff just passes away Let me give you an example. I mean, I've listened to a number of sermons uh, this week, and I do have to say, I mean, I want to say it at least to the two of you as I'm looking at you eyeball to eyeball, I've heard some really good sermons out of the evangelical church. I'm shocked myself. It has been actually a little bit more difficult uh, to find some really crazy sermons. I couldn't tell you why, except... I think these guys have listened to our critique on the Pluck Chicken podcast, and they have they have amended their ways. I do think COVID has brought a little bit of humility upon some people, and made I think come to the realization: what am I in this for? I've noticed this in a in slightly different channels as well. That there is and we're coming together, and just a, a desire to be faithful, not successful, not whatever else just faithful and uh, and that's heartening to hear that that's being reflected in the preaching that's coming out too i've probably listened uh in the last well since we uh determined that we were going to record today i've probably listened to upwards of 30 sermons even though we could listen to them and there's some slight things that we would take issue with we would at the end of the end of it if we were sitting there think to ourselves well that was you know, that was 
C plus, B minus, you know? Anyway, I was somewhat encouraged. However, however, there's always... (laughs) You go digging in the bottom of that barrel and you'll find those rotten apples down there. So I want to start out with this guy here just to give you an idea. Now, he's not even talking, if I'm not mistaken. He might be talking about uh, uh, God speaking to you. But this is what you would hear from the pulpit. And so God speaks, and, and what, what does God want to say to you in 2022? What does He want to say to you today? What does He want to say to you tomorrow? Six, six months ago, God told Ashley and I for her to quit her job. I, th- I think I told you guys this. Well, no, I didn't tell you this. I told you that God told us to sell our house. The part I didn't tell you at the time because I couldn't tell you was that God told Ashley to quit her job. If you could tell us that God told you to sell your house, why can't you tell us that God told your wife to quit her job? He explains that. Uh, okay. Um, but, but my point is, in playing this guy, this is what you're hearing from your pastor who's saying that God has given him like specific, yeah. non-biblical, is that fair? Well, there, it's not yeah. scriptural. I mean, it, Let, there's nothing in the Bible that says sell your house. And that Let, this is the normal way in which God operates. Please continue. Let, let's let's back up to the first part of that. God does have a specific word that he wants to tell those people, trying to use the, the evangelical language here. And that word is, is that you are horrible in, in just horrible, miserable sinners condemned to death because of your sin. Yet Christ died for you and through the preaching of the word through the administration of the sacraments that forgiveness is given to you so that you do not die but you now have life and that's the word that he wants those people to know tomorrow and the next day and the day after i mean that's the story of the bible it starts in genesis 1 god created you know existence everything's good man brings sin into the world here's how we are saved from death. Here's how you are saved from death. Here is how God has removed you from the grave to the resurrection. And and so this desire though, for something that's extra biblical actually has a name within theology. And it's it's known as basically enthusiasm, this desire for something that is non-biblical. And it's all over the place actually in the Bible and in the new Testament, um, several writers address this and um, right uh, how, how do you know if a, a prophet is false if what they say doesn't come true it's a false prophet right and and so what's a false prophet trying to do at heart give you something that's non-biblical and then in the New Testament verify go back and check does is this biblical and so to sit there and say that you know God as, as you pointed out God wants you to quit your job or sell your house like he's spoken directly to you you can't verify that in scripture there, there's no Sally Weathers May on June 2nd who lives in uh, South Dakota you need to sell your house right and and going back to what you uh, perfectly said about uh, the Old Testament what was the punishment? 
for the the guy who made a prophecy who said he was a prophet and then it didn't come true what was the punishment for him it was it was death by stoning because it's blasphemy <laughs> exactly <laughs> and you, we you, allow these guys these jokers uh to to do this all the time well you know we 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 live in a society with different laws um but the the really their danger is being false prophets and so losing the forgiveness of Christ. Amen. So let's let him continue because he's going to tell us exactly how God spoke to him. Here we go. The day we closed on our house, my wife went in and turned in her resignation. I don't know if we could cheer for that or not. <laughs> I hadn't figured that out yet. We we went from a one income fa- from a from a two income family to a one income family. I don't know that we've never done that. Oh, we sold our house. I couldn't tell you that at the point. God told us to sell our house. But what God did first was he told us for Ashley to quit her job. I, I was talking to a friend yesterday, and I told him that I, that I believe that God has positioned me to be a, um, like a faith junkie. Like, that just... I mean, because we moved here not knowing anything, not knowing what God was going to do. I mean, let's be honest, for the last 15 years, Ashley and I and a lot of people around us have walked in faith knowing what God was going to do. And, and I, w- I was walking. I had taken my car over to Wilmington to have it serviced, and, um, and I dropped it off at the little Black's Tire there on Oleander. And I, I was walking up to the mall, and I had my backpack on, and I was listening to some worship music. And I had gone up there and done some stuff at Starbucks or something like that. Um, and I was walking back, and I was listening. And that's when God said, um, now's the time for Ashley to quit her job. So I called her then. I was crying. I'm like walking. I'm crying. I'm a baby, y'all. And I, and I was just crying. I was just crying. And I called her and I said, Ashley, God just told me that you're supposed to quit. That now is the time. We already knew that she was supposed to quit her job. But we're just trying, trying to figure out the timing piece of it. I said, called her and she, she's like, whoa, 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 Because we had planned that we were probably going to do it more like, um, like May, June. Just to kind of give us some more time to prepare. God said, no. And that's why our light God was very clear. And God still speaks, and he still wants to speak to you. What do you think about that, Pastor Oakry? Well, it's so interesting. The, I mean, the evangelical mindset here isn't, you know, I'm speaking prophetically. It's just that God is giving guidance to my life. And there's lots of good guidance in Scripture. That's not its main intent, but there is guidance in how to live your life in there. But... It is, it is so strange to me, uh, this notion. And of course, he can't articulate uh, how God is speaking to him. And, and notice that it's, it's all lining up with the plans they've already made. So he's, he's touching on some things that I think are true. Like when people are planning on having a family, what do they say? Well, we, we'll have a family when we're financially secure. <laughs> we say we're never gonna be, you're never going to be ready to have kids. You're never going to be ready to make a, a big change in your life. You're always, you can always find a million reasons not to do the thing that you are like, we should do this. 
if you're just saying, well, God is saying that now's the time to do it. Okay, well, good. I mean, if, if you already knew that this was the right thing to do and, and you needed some kind of nudging from, from God in your, in your imagining, the, the problem, of course, is that he's broadcasting that out as if God's just constantly moving us around like little pieces on the chessboard. And the implication is, is if he hadn't, if he waited till May or June to do it, what god would have cursed that there's no sin here right and so this and this is the critical problem and, and i run into we run into this pastorally all the pastorally all the time I, i'll have there's certain people in the congregation they're wonderful people sometimes they're our most faithful people and they say pastor i got a job offer and i've been praying about what i should do what should i do and i say which one pays more <laughs> wait does this one make you move away then you shouldn't take that one. You should stay here as a member of the congregation. <laughs> well, and, 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 you know, there's this mysticism to it. And, yeah. and uh, just like uh, uh, Pastor Ross was saying, you know, we, it, it's enthusiasm, but it's also mysticism, which is I'm not reading the tea leaves, but I am doing something where God is providing the insight into my life I need to make the choice uh, that I'm struggling to make. It's misguided. Uh, if your choices are between one good job and another good job, and one vocation and another noble vocation, the proper thing to pray is, Lord, I'm going to choose. Please bless my choice. Right, because you gave me a brain. Yeah, I yeah. have gray matter, so I can yeah. make a decision on this house or that house or or whatever the case may be. Right. One of the things that they're plugging into is like the call of Abraham. And, and they feel that, and they're like, oh, that's amazing. Is this kind of trying to tap into something similar here? You know, when you read scripture, though, you, find, you, you start to notice how exceedingly rare those instances are where God directly comes to a person and says, change your life completely for me. And go in this direction, or, or do this, or what have you. Right, and... We do this with the call too sometimes where we over mystify the call and we say, oh, where should I go? And it's usually the, the one that's closest to your, your in-laws <laughs> or the one that, that pays more, right? And, and we feel, I think sometimes we feel dirty for picking the practical thing or the worldly thing. And so we have to say, well, actually, I'm doing this because this is where God wants me to be. The Lord told me. Yeah, and really when you receive a call, you have two calls, you have a choice, and, and your choice is between one flock and another flock, and God says, I'll bless you, whichever flock you stay with or you go to. And, and that's the beauty, is that we have this Christian freedom, and what we're trying to do is bind ourselves up and say, well, actually I don't. I have to, I have to align myself with God's fatalistic purpose for my life the only fatalistic purpose god has for you and and it really isn't that it's providence and and promise is eternity and we want to live our lives within the channels god gives us but the the path is narrow but it's not it's not a, a wire yeah where if we just get off it a little bit we tip over and fall over he gives us a little range in there and how we live our life first thing that popped into my mind is this is really self-aggrandizement God speaks to me directly. We came here. We didn't know anybody. This is what he's been doing. These amazing things. But the other thing, God does speak to us in, in these decisions, but he speaks to us through his word. What amazes me with American evangelicalism is that you have the free will to choose for, you know, decide for Jesus. But once you make that decision, God has already planned out the rest of your life and you have to figure out what God 
has done for you. Otherwise, and and that schema of things, you, you're you're disappointing God, you're sinning, or or whatever it is. And it's like, why do I have the free will for salvation, but I don't have the free will for what school to go to or what job to work at, things like that. Um, just kind of amazing. But we we have these these guidelines from our vocations. As as me as a husband and a father, um, what is best for my family when trying to figure out you know, jobs. And it might be moving away from family that's close by because this job is better and it helps us, you know, get out of debt or, you know, whatever it is. It might be, no, you know, this job is really close to my family um, or, or my wife's family. And so my kids have more time with their grandparents and their cousins and things like that, along with all the other vocations that we have we have these guidelines. And, and so, yeah, this, this desire for kind of a mystical answer from heaven, uh, Paul moment for God to direct our lives is really kind of despising how God has already spoken to us, for us, and in, in our roles of vocation of what makes me a good husband, a good, a good citizen, a good father, and, and, and things like that. I, I don't know if it's just there's a lack of vocational theology there or just, there's a disconnect with it, or, or what it is. When you're talking about vocation, I would say, Pastor, that in the evangelical church, I mean, the, they have no context. They have no schema of vocation at all. It does not enter into their their thinking. Uh, now, it might be less than it was, you know, uh, in the 80s and the 90s, uh, but the thought is, is that you're supposed to be doing something great for God. Raising kids, no, having a no, family, no, is, is great. No, for God, what are being you? A good, nobody's going to write a book about a good no, a good employee, no, a good boss. No, that, that is a great work for God. No, right? no. I, I love Luther's quote, and I'm just going to paraphrase it here. But the milkmaid milking the cow does a greater work for God than the monk praying. Yeah, but that's Luther. Himself. That's Luther. Who cares what Luther yeah. says? Well, one is helping my neighbor, and one is just helping myself. Well, this is true, but in the evangelical church, the idea is, I mean, you've heard it before, Pastor Oakry, this whole idea of making Jesus famous. Have you heard of that? I have, and and you can you can attach so many things to this stuff. I, I agree that it is a, a self-aggrandizement or this thing where it's like, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do unless I get a book deal or I'm right. Or I have a church of a certain size. Or even have a great testimony. Right. Or, or or if I don't go to Africa, or if I don't, you know, go to China and, and have a secret church. And, you know, there's a million ways you can you can see, like, this is the better, pure form. And again, we, we when we read the New Testament, when we read the book of Acts, we see a very select group of men going out into the world and doing big things. And we say... God wants every single one of us right. to be Paul. And that's ridiculous. Paul is Paul. And in his letters to his churches, he doesn't say, you all have to be like me. He says, be good where you're at. I have a special job. And yes, we need those people. I call this the Ken and Barbie uh, syndrome of the church, where we're all supposed to have beautiful smiles and be beautiful people and uh, and we're and the only way that you can really be serving God is by doing more and more and more in the church. And we've heard plenty of sermons where that's one of the things where if you're re if you're really in it to win it, you're going to be on our dream team. You're going to be serving in the church on Sunday in some form or another. And and Tamara calls that the treadmill. Get on the treadmill and oh, 
you're getting comfortable at this speed well let me crank it up a little bit let me keep cranking and then finally you just fly off the back end of it and you're saying your your faith is either in shatters or your there's a pride in the work you're doing instead of the simple humility that comes to the cross of christ and says this is who i am this is the life i'm living and it's not worthy but it is made worthy in you in, in you jesus and please bless it and just as just as pastor ross said it's family it's also work i mean we don't you know we always talk about work family balance and it, it works differently for different people i mean i you know it's it, it's it's hard to just give a prescription and that's one of the things it's like you just want to give that prescription right do this and your, god will bless your life but you start to see how in a way we're we're nudging ourselves into kind of a prosperity gospel thing see god gave me god gave me instruction and i followed that instruction and I'm assuming that he's going to talk about how God ultimately blessed that decision. Well, yeah. Otherwise, you want to be mentioning it on a, a Sunday morning. Well, well I mean, fair. About that. Well, we're not going to go back to him. Uh, okay. You know, Paul even talks about the great things that he does. And then he ends that with, but I will boast in my weakness because it, it's not these great things that make God great. It's it's that God's God. That's what makes God great. And, and um, you know, he, he gave me a, a, a thorn in the flesh. Right uh, or in the side, um, and said, you know, my in in weakness, my strength is made perfect. Right, and then Peter also mentions and and speaking of the transfiguration, and and I forget which uh, letter of Peter this is, but you know, like I was there, we saw this, we we saw Jesus transfigured, but you actually have something better than that, the word of the prophets. I mean, Peter's like, you have something better, you have scripture, you have something better than actually being there. You have something better than actually being an apostle. You have this thing that we consider so ordinary, but is so extraordinary. And so, yeah, this desire for something grand is just, it's not there when you read God's word. When we pray, we pray for a a peaceable life. We don't pray for aggrandizement. We pray, Lord, please let me live my quiet life in peace. And I think that's a... A, a very good thing. I, you know, I, I sometimes wonder, there's not a lot of Lutheran politicians. I mean, there's not a lot of famous Lutherans actually, who are other than being famous for being Lutheran. <laughs> and I think yeah. that, I think that says something about our, I think that actually flows out of our doctrine of vocation where we're simply li- w- looking to live quiet lives and success comes. We, I mean, there are successful Lutherans there's struggling Lutherans or there are people, but you, you know, I've never, I, Name one famous Lutheran actor. Name one famous Lutheran politician. Well, uh, Lyle yeah. Lovett. Oh, that's right. Well, there you go. <laughs> you, you, you just you just burned my biscuits on that. No, it is fine. But it, but it is it is passingly rare. And and I do, uh, you know, we we just keep seeking things that are uh, different. And and it's just like you said, we, we have this word. And I think that's the exact same thing you would say to a person who's like, "What's God's will for my life?" We'll get into the Bible. I, I say this, like when I tell people to read scripture and I think we set up people, I think maybe for failure when we do reading programs, like read through the Bible in a year or three years or whatever, as if somehow there's a Sunday school chart in heaven where you're getting a little star for every time you read through the Bible. I don't get a toaster. If I get 10 people to read through the Bible in my congregation, when I get to heaven, you know, the Lord's not well done, good and faithful servant. But I do. But, so the reason why we encourage people to be in the Bible isn't for gain material gain on our end it's because we want to hear the the instruction and promises of god 
and grow to an understanding of what those are so that when we have to make a choice, we can make a faithful choice and we can understand we, that the freedom we have to make choices within our faithfulness. It's as simple as that. And our sinful flesh wants something more than the blessings we already have. And so, it, it, you know, if you do this, God will bless you. And it's like, well, how is God already blessing you? you you've just completely denigrated that and, and thrown it out the window. Um, and you're demanding, you're demanding more. You're getting in danger of being David spying Bathsheba and, and not being content with the wives that he has. What we're doing here is we're just listening to uh, this guy here just to give an example how, of how the Lord spoke to him directly. And I want to play you another clip of a guy that I heard. He, uh, the Lord did not speak to him, uh, but the Lord spoke to somebody else who approached him. And this, this story didn't turn out so good. Uh, but before we continue, I do want to say that Lyle Lovett, as the Lutheran, was married to Julia Roberts. So just... He, he didn't do a very good job of no, evangelizing he, no, her. No, he did not. <laughs> All right, listen to this bad example of God speaking. He came up to me in the lobby after the service. Uh, my wife and I had started a church in Virginia Beach. Uh, that's where we were for 12 years before Las Vegas. Um, we were young. We were working hard on this new church, and he came up in the lobby after service. He told me that he was just visiting Virginia Beach, that someone had told them to check out our church, that he loved it, that he was so impressed with what God was doing through us that while he was sitting in the service, he felt God had spoken to him, that God wants you and your wife to go to Hawaii and that he was supposed to pay for it. And then he handed me a check. <sighs> I was uh, confused, taken aback. I told him, and that, that is so cool of you, but I, I can't take this. He said, you have to. I said, I can't. He said, God told me to do this. I have to. God has blessed me. I want to bless you. I said, I can't. He said, you have to. And he smiled and he walked away. What just happened? It was crazy. I, I told my wife, I mean, at that point in our lives, we couldn't afford any vacation. And now we were going to Hawaii for free? Crazy. We were so excited. We celebrated. We're going to Hawaii, to Hawaii. We went home and Googled Hawaii. Where should we go? What should we do? And then his wife called, uh, excuse me. She said, did, did, you, uh, did you meet my husband? Yes. Did he give you a check? Yes. What was the check for? Uh, Hawaii? We're going to Hawaii, to Hawaii. She said, well, you see, my husband is crazy. I was like, crazy cool? Like, he's crazy cool. She said, no, he's crazy crazy. He is, he's mentally imbalanced. He, he does crazy things like this all the time. I'm sorry, I need you to rip up that check. We were so excited, but ended up disappointed. 
And that's how he begins his segue into, have you ever been excited and then got disappointed? And that's his sermon. But the point is that I want to make, here's somebody that the Lord spoke to, told him to do something specific. He did it. And somehow or another, this man is Looney Tunes, but the previous guy He's sharing with his entire congregation how God spoke to him, and it's it's wonderful. The man had it in its right context when he said, I have been blessed and I want to bless you. Sure. That's a perfectly fine thing. Sure. And, and if people want to be generous towards you, let them be generous. And kudos to this guy for saying, when the wife called, saying, well, I'm sorry, did God tell you to, right. for me to tear up <laughs> right. the check? Because right. I am Until plenty. he does. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, and... And I think, that, honestly, he was expressing the limits of this, which is, I mean, this this can become quite abusive. And uh, as I mentioned before, this is where prosperity gospel cards come in, which is abusive, which says, you seed me and God will bless you. And look at me living in my giant mansion. Well, your season, your season's coming, right? Your, your harvest isn't quite ripe yet. What does scripture tell us? Test the spirits. And it's, it would, it's really bizarre I find it utterly bizarre that God would be like, yes, here's my word to you. I want you to take a vacation to Hawaii. And that in and of itself should make you say, that's, that's, that doesn't seem like an instruction the Lord would give us in, in, the wholesome, in the wholeness of Scripture. Certainly, we are sometimes, in, as the church, as a pastor, I am surprised by people's generosity and grace. But the whole idea that, you know, you, you receive a check and if you don't use and what would happen if he went to Jamaica instead? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, the guy well, just wrote him a check. Not only that, the guy freely admits, you know, we didn't have money for nothing. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to downplay what the Lord might do here, but wouldn't it have been better if God was like, we want you to use this to pay off a car or pay off some, I mean, I'm just throwing things out there, spitballing like. A vacation's good, but if you have no money, what's an expensive vacation get you? And and maybe if God is saying, hey, you, you're burning the candle on both ends because of this new church and you're yeah. really doing too much and he says, you need a break, God, I find that God usually does that through uh, more direct means as in you have some health issue come up that makes you stay in bed for a while and all of a sudden you're like, and I've had to go to people's bedsides and I said, this is, you know, because, you know, I mean, we all have these folks in our congregation. They're, they go, go, go. And I have to say to them, this is God saying, slow not, down. It's not your time to go. Yep. And I think that's perfectly reasonable. When I was uh, still in Topeka, warm, sunny day, all of a sudden the doorbell rings and I open it up and there's this uh, young man there, 18, 19, 20 years old. And I say, you know, how can I help you? And he goes, I'm the pastor. Oh, no. And I said, um, okay, my name is Pastor Ross, and I'm I'm the pastor here. How can I help you? And he looked at me really confused, and he goes, I was driving by, and God told me I was supposed to be the pastor here, so I'm the pastor. Oh, my goodness. I've never heard and this I, story. And I said, well, you realize we're a Lutheran church. Have you been to school, to seminary? No, no. God just told me I'm supposed to be the pastor here. Oh, my. And I was like, well, my name is Pastor Ross, and God called me to be the pastor here. No, I'm supposed to be that. I was like, I, I don't know what to do. Like, I can get some phone numbers for some help. 
for you if yeah. you need anything. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm the pastor here. And the guy looked at me really, really confused. And he goes, but God told me. And then he walked off to his car, to his car that was parked right there and drove off. It is today one of the top three weirdest experiences of my life. That, um, that is weird. I want to I want to explore something though, because you've said it, and Pastor Oakry said it uh, earlier, and I especially want to explore it for uh, for for those who may be listening who are not familiar with the way that the uh, LCMS, and it's probably not just the LCMS, but uh, the way the call process works. When a pastor is called by a church to serve at that church, the call is actually from the church. They're the ones, they are the voice of God calling you to serve them. And this is, it takes the, you said it earlier, Pastor Oakry, about the mysticism. It is not nearly as mystic. I'll I'll give you one example. When I came to Topeka, and uh, I had already gone through the being interviewed, and uh, and the church asked me to to come out to Topeka to meet folks face to face. And I wasn't serving at a church at the time. I was waiting to be called, not called by God per se directly, but it was called by God through means of the church real-life people who deliberated and prayed over, would it be me or would it be some other guy? I got out here, and I was riding around with one of the elders, wonderful man, and I, uh, I, I remember getting a phone call. And uh, I answered the phone while I was riding in the car, and I just told whoever was calling, I don't remember who it was, a friend of mine from back home, I said, listen, I cannot talk right now. I'm out in Topeka interviewing for a job. Very evangelical in, in that thinking. And I got off the phone, and this very wise man said, Pastor, you're not interviewing for a job. We have already called you. You are here to see if you are going to answer God's call. And I have to tell you, I realize to most Lutherans, especially Lutheran pastors, that's a no-brainer. But for me, that was a brain explosion to hear that, is that the call that God makes upon a pastor's wife or a deaconess or, you know, what have you, or a a teacher in uh, one of the, uh, you know, uh, Lutheran schools, the call is grounded in somebody who has flesh and blood. It's through, uh, as if through means. As if through means. (laughs) So, so let's 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 talk about that just for a second, and and uh, I'm going to give you a hypothetical. So, say Pastor Kearns, you had been serving a church in uh, South Carolina at the time that you received a call to St. John's in, in Topeka. So, so you were a pastor at an LCMS church in in South Carolina. What would that mean? Well, um, well, that would be that's a great question because at the time. Uh, the pastor is deliberating between now two calls. He has one call at the church, as you say, hypothetically in South Carolina, but now he's got another call at, uh, you know, 
another location, uh, Topeka, for instance. So now he goes before the congregation. He tells the congregation, this is what I'm up against, so to speak. I've got two calls. Uh, and so I'm going to be deliberating and praying over this. And uh, I would ask you to join me in praying uh, for me as I determine what the Lord wants. However, just this caveat, is the man, is the pastor sinning by saying no to said call elsewhere or saying no to the call that he currently has? Of course not. No, And I, th- and I think it's a mistake to, for the pastor to get up there and say, I'm trying to discern God's will. You already know God's will. It's either serve here or serve there. Well, it goes back to what Pastor yeah. Ross said. Your vocation is a pastor, so that that's to your point. Yeah, and once the call comes, God's will is is known on the situation. And you know, it is interesting. Uh, I've I've had this happen. I, I know other people have too, where you're you're struggling in your current situation for whatever reason, and you're thinking, "Oh, I could I could I could stand a, a fresh start. I could stand to get somewhere new." And God sometimes gives you that call, and through the clarity that the call brings, you realize, I can't be anywhere else but here. And that's a beautiful thing, and it's amazing. And, and sometimes the clarity is that is, and, and again, it's not mystical. It's not God spoke to me and said, because God, God already spoke, and he said, I'm fine with you being here, and I'm fine with you going there. Either one's fine, because it's not sinful, but through prayerful consideration and and this is important we don't we don't want to under mystify this either we're still seek we're, we're still praying we're still seeking the lord we're still saying okay i i realize that both you can bless both of these options i'm still trying to pick the one that i think is gonna you know from a from my human perspective seems best and god says yeah okay and and i i think you know it's it's interesting how we uh we can. I think we can go too far the other way and turn it almost into a an interview, a business thing. I've I've I hear about pastors kind of like, well, can you come visit us before we issue you the call and, right. and all of those things? And and we tend most pastors I I've I've talked to balk at that because it's like, well that you're you're really turning this into a a much more worldly approach to these things than than what the call is intended to be. I've presented my you know we. We communicate, we have information, we do all this, and we do, you know, theological technical word, rigmarole, to, to, just, to read the tea leaves and figure things out. Pastor Ziegler, who has given me so much guidance in, in my pastoral life, uh, he said, you know, I, I came to Ach- he came to Atchison after serving uh, 10 years out in Claflin, Kansas, and he said, I couldn't say no to the call. And their call document said, well, what we don't need is outreach, and what we don't need is finance. And he said, I'm the outreach and finance guy. And they needed it. And they didn't even know they needed it. And I think that's astounding to me too, is we go through all this process of the churches figuring out what they need. And just like people, churches don't know what they need. They know what they want, but they don't know what they need. And the call process, again, I don't want to over mystify it, but the call process does do something. And it puts the pastor that needs to be there in that moment and the and and that's how we see the lord's hand in that and you can do that without over mystifying it and you have to do it without under mystifying it too there's i mean god is working through people to make it happen there is a mysterious element to the call is i guess how i want to leave that so i was a pastor for five years in topeka kansas very happy um loved being there and one sunday 
after church, sitting there in my living room, my, my mother-in-law's up helping uh, with the kids or, you know, um, they're both still real young. And I get this phone call from a 405 area number on my phone. I let it go to voicemail because I don't recognize it. A long message, voicemail message is left there. And so I listen to it and it's this church in Oklahoma. It's, it's the circuit visitor um, who was calling to let me know that the church just issued me a call and to be on the lookout for those documents to come in the mail. Oh my goodness. That's a blind I, I call. I didn't interview for this church. I wasn't looking to leave. And it really came down to, I, I didn't want to leave Topeka. It's kind of hard to explain, but it, it wasn't like I wasn't looking to leave or anything like that, but I couldn't say no to this other call in, in looking at it, you know, vocationally as pastors, as a uh, spouse, as, as a uh, parent and, and things like that. Um, and, and so, <laughs> yeah, it was a blind call. It came out of nowhere. Um, and, and so uh, there, there's actually just for our evangelical listeners out there, there are processes in place that kind of spell out how, how you're supposed to go through the call process of a church has contacted you and things like that. Um, and, and so, yeah, it, it's, it's not mystical, but it's not demystified at the, at the same time. All right, gentlemen, so we've talked a lot here about not only the call process and the LCMS, but we've also talked about the destructive nature that can happen when you teach a group of people to anticipate God speaking to them directly. Well, that brings us to the sermon that I have for you both, and this entire sermon is about this same topic of how to begin to learn how to hear God speak to you. And, uh, man, I've listened to it several times, and I think you'll find it as uh, convoluted as I did. Now, to set it up, he's been, for the last three, four weeks, I believe, going through the parable of the sower and the seed. Now, in the one-year lectionary, we just got through covering this. When, Pastor Oakry, when did we we deal with uh, the sower and the seed? Uh Middle Sex, of sexagesima. Okay. Yeah. All right. So uh, sexagesima. So this is. And what is sexagesima for si- those non-Latin speaking? Sixty days. It's six about sixty days before Easter. That's what it means. About sixty. And so then it begins to work its way down, uh, quinquagesima, and then uh, right after quinquagesima is when uh, you have uh, Ash Wednesday, uh, the Wednesday after quinquagesima, and then you begin um, Lent, or you could say quadragesima, something like that. You could do that. Sunday, isn't it? The first Sunday Invo- of Lent? Invocavit Sunday, yes. He yeah. shall call is what that means. So, oh, uh, hey, he shall call, and we're talking about God calling. People. There you go. All right. So, uh, I think I think the way I've got it queued up here is the pastor is going to read this parable that he's been preaching on. But here's the deal, just to let you know, of the four different types of soil, which both of you, of course, know about, and most of our listeners do. If not, they can go and read the parable themselves. Uh, but the four different types of soil, he's landed. Arch, arch, arch. He's landed like a seed on the uh, the healthy soil, and hearing God speak to you is how one produces fruit in their life, or produces a harvest or a crop. Pastor Okri, you seem befuzzled. 
I, I'm only befuzzled because Jesus tells us how the crop grows, and it's the word of God being planted. Oh, <laughs> oh. It's not it's not some new word. It's the very old word. Well, cue up the Lyle Lovett music, and let's go ahead and back out of here uh, because you just cut to the chase there. Well, only because God's word does. Only uh, because Jesus uh, does. All right, He doesn't leave this mysterious. Okay, so let's uh, let's let's let him begin. Yeah, you gotta have that. A farmer gotta gotta feel the whole seed. Exactly. In his field, and as he scattered the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no. And while he while he reads, and the uh, seductive sensual music plays in the background, uh, mimicking the Holy Spirit. Uh, on the audience I think it's very interesting everybody preaches in these evangelical church churches from a it's a cocktail table it's a high cocktail table it's a round table that you would find at a yeah they don't even have the the notice anymore they don't even have the what? They don't even have the podium anymore. Oh no no no! It's a it's a. They always bring it out after the music set uh, for the pastor. They all do it. And nine times out of ten, it's covered by one of those black stretchy cloth things. Well, sure. I I didn't. All the ones that I've been watching, they didn't have it. But I know what you're talking about. Which those things are cool. But uh, yeah, on Sunday morning. Well, it's kind of like what you say. If you don't have the sacraments, you'll make your own sacraments. And if you don't have the furnishings of the church, you'll invent your own furnishings you of go. the church. There you go. Here he is. For those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it. Everyone say retain it. Retain, retain it. it. By persevering, produce a crop. Let's pray today. Lord, thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. I pray that as we study your word today, that your Holy Spirit would make plain and simple the message you have for us today. Have your way in our hearts, in our lives, in this place, in the mighty name of Jesus. City Church said, amen, amen. You may be seated today. What if we were already so seated? glad that my son Taj came down to worship with me today at the 11:30 service. Don't look. We're going to respect his privacy, but he's just going up that way right there. It's a man of God right there. Um, we've been in this series um, uh, for the last three weeks. This will be the fourth and final installment. And we've just been going through this text. And how many of you want God to speak to you? Is there anyone? And it's so important for us, um, if we want to really hear from God, it's really important for us um, to tune our ears, to position ourselves uh, rightly so that we can hear what God is saying and we can receive uh, what God wants to say uh, to us. Pastor Bruss loves this guy just because he has that uh, that noise in between. <laughs> he, he sounds so plaintive already. I'm like, man, this is how he starts. What's the altar call like? Uh, <laughs> oh, he, <laughs> 
<laughs> That's right. usually when you get that plaintiveness. Yeah. Does, did, does he have a health issue? I, no, he's a, like, you know, I'm watching him here. Uh, you know, he's a young man. I don't want to talk about uh, the way that he's presenting just yet. I do want to talk about how, I mean, and I think one of the two of you mentioned it earlier. I mean, did Abraham, was he, did he have his ears attuned before God broke into his world or St. Paul or anybody else? Even Mary, when she was uh, just minding her own business and the the angel came, she had her ears attuned. Was she focused on learning how to hear from God? And then boom. Yeah, this is baffling. Um, I'm pretty sure when Peter was out on the boat, he was praying, God, I'd really want to travel around, follow some guy that I haven't met yet for a few years, then watch him die. And then uh, start this 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 new faith, and then die for it, rather than fish another day. Even Jesus says to them directly three times what what he's going to do. Right, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to the Son of Man is going to suffer and all kinds of stuff, and he's going to die. And on the third day, he's going to rise. This is right there at the heart of it. And uh, we just th- this is. Uh, uh, sexagasm, jesima, I don't know. I, I get my, my hard G's and my soft G's, but, uh, and then, uh, quinquagesima, jesima is, um, is that exactly that it's his last proclamation of his death to the disciples. And it tells us that they did not understand it. Their ears could not hear. And even in the parable of the sower, he says, he doesn't say their ears aren't tuned in as if God's a radio broadcast and you just have to, tune in. he says they're deaf and their understanding evades them. And so the problem isn't that we haven't tuned into God and like, and this is this kind of two-tier Christian thing that you sometimes get. When you're an early Christian, you're tuned in and it's like the old, I'm, boy, some of our listeners may not even know this, but in the old days, we used to have to turn a knob to get tuned into a radio station. What's a knob? It's a, it's a thing that you turn <laughs> and it kind of works through a bandwidth. And, and, you can get it, you can get a station, right? But you can get it real weak and real staticky because you just haven't turned that knob just a little bit to get it right on where it needs to be. And, and I feel like this is the road we're heading down. Not you're deaf and you need the miracle of Jesus, not just, this is, this is the beauty of, of our Lutheran theology is that when God speaks, he also unplugs our ears. It's not that I have, spe- it's not because I'm a Christian, I have specially tuned ears to Jesus. He unplugs my ears too. I mean, are you, are you going to tell me that Lazarus just wasn't tuned? Like Lazarus was tuned into Jesus' voice when, when Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. <laughs> no, his ears were dead, but when God's word hit his dead ears, life came to him. Just like when God's word hit Mary's ears, life came to her. That being, yeah. that being the Logos. Amen. Yeah. That's, I'm, I'm I mean, pretty sure that light was just waiting. It was, it was adjusting the, the, the TV antennas just so until God said, let there be light. And then light was like, okay. Oh, right. It's my time now. Right. Right. Yeah. Same with the fish and the plants and, and, and all that. Right. Well, um, and, but notice he's putting all of the impetus already on the listener and their tuning of their ears. He's not putting it on the power of God speaking. 
God well, speaking well, is like a blanket thing, and you just have to tap into it. Here's the opening salvo. How many of you want God to, to speak to you? Now, he raises his hand, and he's looking around the room, and he's nodding in approval, meaning that the entire group of people who were there have what? They got their hands raised. Right. They and, want the same well, thing. It's manipulation. It's it manipulation. Is. It is. It's really at the premises is you might think you're a good Christian, but do you, don't you want to be a great Christian? And, and so the question is, is what's a great Christian? Is, is there a super Christian out there? Which is really just a dumb question. It's a holiness question because we're all sinners. We freely admit that. And I think that's one thing um, somewhat more unique to Lutheranism than, than American evangelicalism. But if you remove, if you resist one temptation, does that make you any less of a sinner? Because that's the flip side of that of this is, is really what it is. He's setting people up for failure. Absolutely. And to go back to the verses that you had us think about uh, earlier from Peter, the text is 2 Peter chapter 18 through 20. And just to read it for our listeners, where Peter is saying, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain, this being the Mount of Transfiguration, when he and James and John saw the Lord transfigured along with Elijah and Moses. And then, this is what you were saying earlier, Pastor Ross, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation." So he's already out of the gate. He is now see, and this is the dance that these guys like to play. He's going to talk about receiving direct downloads from God, but yet at the same time, he can't in good conscience stand up there and say that there are two, that you know, there's the the, the varsity and the JV, right? He's got to acknowledge the fact that what the Lord tells you directly has to correspond with Scripture. Otherwise, he would be a raving false prophet. No, he's just flirting with it. Exactly. Yeah. So let's let him. Let's let him. And what I found is, is that God is way more interested in speaking to us oftentimes than we are um, ready to listen. So we've been talking about um, why it's important to hear from God, over the course of this series, we talked about how when we hear God, it proves that we're in his family. How many know the Bible says that um, his sheep hear his voice and know uh, his voice? And so when you hear from God, it proves that you're in his family. What? If you hear God, it we, we literally just listened to an example where a crazy man by his wife, a certifiably insane man said, God wants me to give you this check to go to Hawaii. And the wife's like, he's crazy, whether that's schizophrenia or, or whatever. Talk about twisting scripture that my sheep hear my voice. And so if you want to know if you're saved or not, has God spoken to you directly? This, this is worse than the speaking in tongues, proof of the spirit gift stuff. I need to calm down. Yeah, I was getting ready to say, you might not want to go back and listen to that sermon in its toto, uh, because it might not do well for your heart, Pastor Ross. Well, and you you did well enough to at least ground it. I mean, this is John 10. This is the Good Shepherd Discourse right at the very front. 
uh, verse 3, uh, the sheep hear my voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, right? And it, once again, he's he's confusing. It's it's the call of the shepherd that makes you a sheep, not the, not the hearing of his voice per se, but it goes on. And again, if you just cut this off here and you say, well, see, you heard God, and so you're part of the flock, uh, and and leads them out. And so it is not just, I heard God, I heard the word of God, and that makes me a Christian. That would be really weird because that's actually going against the entire uh, uh, parable of the soils. The word of God is being sown, and there's lots of things that are hindering it. There's wills. This is what Luther does in the Lord's Prayer, of course. Uh, the devil, the world, and our own sinful nature, our own sinful flesh uh, that are are hindering the word producing what God would have it produced in this time, in this age. It's not just hearing. Uh, in fact, he yeah. says some of them hear it gladly. They receive it gladly, but that's not enough. Matthew 13, 20, this is Jesus explaining the parable. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Uh, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but cares for the world and the deceit. I mean, both of those examples, they hear the word. Now, one responds with joy and then quickly withers. One ignores the word. Um, but let's talk about this. Look, when does God call us by name? At our baptism. At our baptism, which used to be when you received your Christian right. name. What is right? your How is this child named? And then, and then, fast forward to the book of Revelation, we get this lovely picture about your name being written in the book of life, and that is revealed, like, we don't know what that name is, but that's revealed, This you, you receive a new name, it's revealed when Christ returns. I mean, if you're going to go with this God talking to you, that my sheep hear my voice analogy, there is a ton of scripture that talks about that, but not in the way that this guy is talking about it. This, this guy is talking about it as a proof of your justification, your salvation before God. Correct. And that is not how scripture is is written because, you know, I mean, the closest thing you can get is James where faith without works is dead, which is, you know, he's saying like, when you live your faith, you're going to produce good works. And what's what's the first good work? It's faith. It's it's the faith that's worked in you through the Holy Spirit and clinging to the forgiveness of God. And, and then from that flows uh, good works towards my neighbor who, who, who needs them, as, as Luther says, more, more than God needs my good works. But um, wow, just how to, I mean, if you're in that congregation and you haven't heard a audible word from God, you have to be questioning whether you're saved or not at this point in the sermon. It also protects us. How many of you know God's word, right, is a lamp into our, our feet, a light into our path? We just prayed it. Uh, God's word um, is eternal. We can build our whole life on God's word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will never pass away. And his word protects us. Um, third, it produces God's blessing in favor uh, in our life. And so we want to um, just kind of do a quick review. If we want to hear God, we must cultivate an open, an open mind, an open heart. Um, secondly, we must take time to listen. Uh, we, we have to take time. Uh, third, we have to eliminate 
right? Distractions. How many know some distractions are fatal? Um, and we have to eliminate those distractions. And then lastly, today, um, we must cooperate um, with what God says. It says here in Luke 8:15, they listen to God's word uh, and cling to them and steadily spread them to others who also believe. So uh, just again, the seed represents uh, God's word, what he wants to say to us. Um, the soil represents our response, um, an attitude or um, uh, the condition of our heart. Pastor Oakry, you are uh, grimacing. Well, yeah. Um, That's gnashing of teeth, by the way, <laughs> yeah. what you were doing. <laughs> I, yeah, well, yeah, it was. Um, look, this parable comes about because the disciples and other followers of Jesus have a very reasonable question. Why are other people not seeing what we're seeing? You are preaching, you're teaching, you're, and then flowing out of that preaching and teaching are coming miracles. Uh, we see the fulfillment of scripture in you. What is so clear to us uh, in Mark and Matthew, this comes right after the accusation of the Pharisees that Jesus is Beelzebub. Uh, and you know, and Jesus says, uh, a house divided against itself cannot stay, and I can't serve uh, both. And you know, this is the enduring question: is the Pharisees don't like Jesus, the Sadducees don't like Jesus, but the haunting question for them, and this comes up in John, is how can anybody who is not of God do the things that he's doing? But notice that it's see they can see the miracles, but they they can't hear the truth. And it's, it's always still the ear. the ear. The ear is what unblinds the eye. So they're looking at the miracles and they say, well, I, I, I can't explain it, but I still hate it because it's, it's weakening my earthly position. So the point of the parable is the constancy of the seed. And that's why calling it the parable, I'm sure he, he's calling it the parable of the four soils because he's really focused on the condition of your heart. And, right. And, and what does this do? It brings you to a point of judgment. And I've seen this lots of times where you say, well, I know what soil that that bows over there is. They're 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 choked with the thorns of the world, and why why should I even bother? Well, the whole point is the seeds getting sown there anyway, and that's the point. Is the word's going to go out, and and the promise is that it won't return to the Lord void, and so to turn this into some kind of and and I've seen this lots of places. It's an evaluative tool. Where what is my heart? Where's my heart at? Am I properly tuned to God? And even his principles he gave forward, right? Avoid distractions. Well, that's another way of saying don't let the weeds choke you. Uh, that kind of stuff. And so it's just, it's... But again, all the emphasis, all the point of this is being focused on the people hearing. God's not cold. He says, I have to cultivate my heart. Right. Not, I'm not letting God cultivate it through word and sacrament. That's what we would say because that's what the scripture says. Right. But because we have to have principles, because we have to have something to put in front of the people to, that they can walk home and say, okay, my checklist is cultivate, avoid distraction, cooperate with God. Man, that's, that's And listen, you know, get, yeah. get into a place to be able to listen God, and quiet yourself. That cooperation language is, I, it's very unusual to hear them, to hear a pastor with much assault at all say, Oh, we're cooperating in salvation. I mean, that's it's what he's saying, and that's he's he's flirting with synergism. Yeah, it's, it's more than flirting at this point. I think they've got on a date or two. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
let, let's 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 ask the question: What is the point of the parable of the sower? It's the irrationality of the sower. What person goes out and throws the seeds, the, the, the seed, so it's, it scatters on the path, it scatters in the bad soil, it scatters in the weed, and, it, and, and some of it falls on the good soil. Right. It's wasteful. It, it, it's absolutely, it's, it's wasteful. It's, it's a guy ha- has, you know, quote unquote, no idea what he's doing. Who's the sower in the parable? It's God. God's love, his, his sacrifice in Christ is irrational. It's for everybody, and, and God's work, God's word goes out to people who don't want to hear it, people who hear it and then fall away, people who get distracted, and, and people that, that treasure it. God's word goes out, and that's the point of the parable, that this word is going out, and people are going to hear it and not understand it. They're going to see it, yet not comprehend it, but the word of God is going out. It, it, I mean, he literally before he explicitly explains the parable says, this is the point of the parables so that God's word goes out. Yeah. And, and again, it's the word of God and it's, 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 a, it's, it's through the ear. And I think, you know, one of the things I want to stress with the listeners is, you know, faith comes by hearing this word uh, engage with us. And yes, it doesn't, it doesn't affect all the ear is connected to the heart uh, scripturally mm-hmm. and the heart is the soil. And, uh, Pastor Bruss made a really good point on this because uh, one of the ways I've taught this in the past is this whole idea that, well, you know, we we have all the soils in us, right? I mean, I'm I'm bothered by the cares of the world. I have I have shallowness in me to be certain, uh, and there are days when I'm just like, I, there's no talking to me. I won't listen. Um, and but I really appreciated this point uh, talking about the farmland up in in Minnesota, and uh, he said, yeah. Even the good soil has rocks in it. Well, yeah, it does. And even the good soil uh, has hard paths, especially when it gets close to the road. But are there still plants growing there? Yes. And once the once the seeds are picked off of the the path, uh, the birds will come and they'll dig through the dirt and they'll gobble it up. Yeah. Just, but no farmer would say that's not good soil. It's still good soil despite all of those things. And that's the beauty of this is, it's not about us kind of deciphering our heart. It's simply about your word is doing what your word does and pray thanks be to God. And then um, we see um, that the, the seed um, represents what he wants to say. The soil represents our heart. And then ultimately the fruit, right, that's represented uh, is the fruitfulness. Is the fruitfulness or is what ultimately God wants to accomplish in our life. And so um, the Bible also tells us that out of the abundance, right, um, of the heart flow the issues of life. The Bible also says that, that the heart is like deep waters and a man of understanding, right, um, draws uh, wisdom and, and, and clarity and understanding out of it. And so we know that, that the heart um, is absolutely critical. And the Bible talks about in the last days, um, that uh, men's hearts will harden. And so it's absolutely critical for us with all that's going on in the world, everything um, that we are seeing and hearing and experiencing, it's so critical that we do not, um, with all the pain and suffering 
and injustice in the world, it's so important, right, that we do the necessary inner work to keep our heart soft, to keep our heart open, to keep our heart ready uh, to receive what God wants to say to us. <laughs> Pastor O'Grady, now it's, uh, now it's, uh, you, you've, You've pushed past uh, gnashing of the teeth. Now you want to uh, you want to strangle something. It is a great evil to stand up as a teacher of God's word and point not at Christ but to yourself and your cultivation and your 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 own inner workings. As this is this is this common thing that comes up. Like I need Jesus, but only in emergencies and. Uh, God won't work with me until I make myself ready to receive him, which is when we talked about that, like, when are you ready to get married? When are you ready to make a big life-changing decision in your life? When are you ready to receive Jesus? When have you cultivated your heart enough? When have you done the inner work? I, that's what made me like, just, I, oh, I just want to kind of just stop him from talking because it's just so wrong to do this to God's people, to, to take their eyes off of Christ and turn them inward is everything that Jesus preached against with the Pharisees. That's what they were. They, their hearts were cultivated. They were doing the things that they were supposed to do. And this is the danger of this parable is you start to use it judgmentally. I know who you are, sinner. I know who you are, tax collector. I know, I know who you and, you and your disciples are, Jesus. You're just like the rest of them because you're not like me. And is, we clearly know that's not the picture Jesus paints. He says, yeah, we're all the same. We're not different. We're, we're sinners and we need Christ's salvation. So, so he set this up. He, he's, he's put them on that treadmill. I, I love that that analogy that your wife came up with, Pastor Oakery. He, he put them on this treadmill. If you want to know if you're saved or not, God will speak directly to you. That's how you judge if you are saved or not. And so now you have to work to get to that point of which he's obviously at that point because God has obviously talked to him. Otherwise he wouldn't be a pastor. And, and so he's put him on a treadmill, but the sneaky thing is, is he's now made God's law accomplishable. God will respond to how good I am and give me Christ. Now I have earned my salvation and God has to, has to give me Christ. The question is, is, at that point, why do you need Christ? If you're already good enough, why, why do you need Christ? And, and that's what happens when, when you get in this, whatever angle you take this with, when, when, you, make, when you blunt the law, when you make it accomplishable, when, when basically, whether you want to call it Pelagianism or semi-Pelagianism, whatever it is, what this guy has done has not only just put him on a never-ending treadmill and focused them on themselves. But he stripped the law of its accusatory power, and so no longer will they even realize that they need Christ. And then, um, um, and then we, we talked about the hurried heart, right? That it's a superficial faith. It's shallow. Um, God can never establish his word or his plans or his purposes, right, when we're just so hurried uh, all the time. And then there's the busy or crowded heart where, right, um, you just are trying to do everything, trying to accomplish uh, everything. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of heaven. You see, when we, when we place God's word, when we place his purpose, his plans is a priority, then all these other things that God knows that we need, right? He says he'll give them to us as well. And so if we're going to have, right, a good heart or a fruitful heart, 
then we have to know how to receive uh, God's word into our lives. Um, and so I just want to just share a few practical thoughts. This is not a new sermon. Uh, this is actually uh, a talk that I'm going to continue uh, to give regularly uh, here at City Church because it's so important for us to know how to receive uh, God's word. Because how many of you know uh, the Bible is God's primary way, right, of communicating uh, to us or revealing himself to us? But God also, you see, in the Bible will speak supernaturally. Uh, the Bible says we entertain angels unaware. Oftentimes, right, um, I believe that, that God will send angels to uh, encourage us or to comfort us or to pray for us or even to speak to us, and we don't even know who they are. Um, there could be angels in the room right now. Some of you are like, you believe that? Yeah, I believe all of it. I believe all of the Bible. Uh, and I believe that there, there are angels um, that show up in our lives. Sometimes um, I meet people and I get to know them and I, and I still, even after knowing them, I wonder, are they an angel? Has anyone ever met Rashawn here at City Church? Right, if you met Rashawn, it's like it's, the jury's still out. I don't really know. He comes, he goes, right? Um, he may be an angel. We also see that God speaks through people. Um, and then we also see, if you want to get even weirder, God speaks all throughout Scripture, right? The Old Testament, we see God speaks through a burning bush, right? Some of you are like, well, I, I don't know if that was God speaking. That was some burning leaves. I don't know what kind of leaves, right, were on that tree. Um, but, you know, the truth is, is God speaks. Uh, God speaks in the Old Testament, right? We see God spoke through a, through a donkey, right? So that means... We've lost a lot of people, uh, you know, the last couple of years, I think. Um, we'll just go ahead and lose some more. But, you know, he'll, he'll even use jackasses, right? Um, it's awfully quiet here today. First off, this is very cruel of you, just because he says <laughs> right all the time. And you're like, oh, I'm, I know what I can do. I'm going to bar Pastor Oakery for saying right all the time. And, I, and so it's, I mean, if their congregation has been shrinking... This guy's preaching style, his we're going to have a talk style, is utterly self-defeating. All of the uhs and the ums and the flatness of it, it's, he's hard to listen to. I mean, I don't know. I mean, clearly this is, you've listened to him before. Oh, yeah. And I mean, like, what, what is this church like? I mean, I, he said they've lost a lot of people. I mean, that, so I, that was one of my questions. I is, think that was COVID. I think that was a reference to COVID. Okay. So his, his, flock, his flock loves him. They're like, this guy and his ums and uhs and, and all of that. They're just like, yep, this is, I, I'm just, I've, one of the things I very seldom criticize evangelicals You're for right. I know. is, is I, bad, is bad rhetoric and yeah, presentation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And this guy is just. Oh, <laughs> are, you, are you serious? <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, right? Stop. All right. Okay, it's not that bad. <laughs> yeah. He All needs right. to work on his verbal pauses. Okay. What were you going to say, Pastor Ross? He has confused prescriptive and descriptive texts. Tell us what that means. In the Bible. So, a, a prescriptive text, right, like a prescription, a doctor 
prescribes you medicine, you take this medicine, you get better, right? So a prescription tells you to do something. A descriptive text or description text tells you something that happens. And yes, there are tons of instances of God working, quote unquote, supernaturally uh, throughout scripture. I say supernaturally um, just because like it can't be explained by the laws of physics, right? We, We don't hear inaudible voices normally. We don't see burning bushes that aren't consumed, things like that. This is God breaking through creation to work his plan of salvation. And, and so we are going to see that throughout scripture. But those are descriptive texts. This is describing how God worked in this instance. It is not a prescriptive text. We don't need to go out and tend our father-in-law's sheep to find a burning bush. That God speaks to us through his word as yeah. as he just told us as, as Christ just told us as the guy just read in the parable, he speaks to us in his word. What is the word? It is, it is scripture. Yeah. yeah but that's the, only the primary that that's primary. Uh, as this guy has said, uh, there are other ways, pastor Ross. And you, I think you're being very close minded. I'm going to uh, tell my elders this when I go fishing on Sunday morning, instead of showing up to lead a church service. Oh, because why the Lord told you to go fishing? Well, because if, I don't need to hear God's word. I might as well be out fishing early. That's what they say on the golf course, right? I don't, they're always like, God's everywhere. He's on the golf course too. And I was like, there's only one place he promises to be with his grace and mercy though. <laughs> That's worded well, sacrament. And, and so this was a little comment. I wasn't going to say this, but, but you know, when he said, you know, there might be angels here, of course there's angels there. Wherever two or more are gathered in my name, I am there with them. Christ is there and where Christ is, there is heaven. There is the heavenly host. You know what does that text mean by angels? Angels, like in Revelation, the to the to the angels of the churches. Angels isn't a species necessarily. Sometimes it is talking about this these spiritual beings that serve God, the heavenly host. Other times, angels are people and pastors in particular. Yeah. And, and guess what? You know who they are. I mean, we all have people in our lives who are good for our faith, and we say. You are, you are sent by the Lord. And, that, and that's all that angel means. It just means messenger. So anyone that encourages us with God's word is an angel. And, you know, it's, we, we, I think we, again, we tend to over mystify that. And I'm not, I'm not saying that an angel can't come and visit us, although it would be, it would be, a, again, angels usually come during very special seasons and times, even in scripture, their appearances are exceedingly rare. Uh, and so, but how about we just be content with the fact that God uses other people to bring his message and encouragement to us? That's so mundane. Well, that this is, is so this, earthy, yeah. so, you know, so real just, and true and how so, we live. Oh, that, that's yeah. so Lutheran and oh. something more. Well, and the other thing is, I, I get it. I get it to a certain extent, but, and I'm not a, I'm not a super pious person, but him talking about, the burning bush as if it was like we wonder what kind of grass it was that is impious that is not good you know one of the things as a husband is is culturally it's where we're it's okay to speak poorly of your spouse and husbands and wives where you know all the old battle acts kind of stuff or or rodney dangerfield hey i gotta tell you right i think one of the things we do as christians is is avoid that my wife is the greatest human gift that god has given to me she's my flesh and similarly, again, he's trying to trying to ease people into it, and and maybe there's a context where I can understand it. But when you're talking to a congregation, I don't I don't ever want to give them the the idea that God's word is 
literally dopey. God said, take off your shoes, Moses, because you're on holy ground. And to kind of turn that holiness into some kind of drug joke seems very tacky to me. Gotcha. Some of you are like, oh, I'm so offended. Yeah, let's listen to your uh, Spotify playlist. And uh, uh uh-oh. Everyone say conviction, conviction, not condemnation, conviction, right? And so we see God speaks um, supernaturally. And and now we have access to God through Christ Jesus, our Savior, because we've been reconciled back to him. And we also have been given, uh, right, the precious gift of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit, you know, the, for example, the Holy Spirit um, will speak to us through dreams and through visions. Um, that's the language of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will prompt us, right, to, to say things. For example, the Bible says all of us should, should desire the gift of prophecy because um, it's the gift of encouragement. It's a spiritual gift that's available. Uh, and it's different than the office of a prophet, right? But, but all of us have spiritual gifts where we can encourage one another, um, and so the Holy Spirit, so what do we do um, when we've done the inner work, when we've made sure that our heart isn't hard, we've made sure that our heart isn't hurried, uh, we make sure that, that, that the busyness of life isn't crowding out what God's trying to say or how God's trying to lead in our life, um, how do we receive? When, when we are in a good place, how do we receive? I just want to give you... Well, he's getting ready to go into his list, but... Uh... I mean, dreams and visions, that's the, that's the language. Well, I mean, I guess that's a reference to, to Joel and Pentecost. Has to be, yeah. Uh, and yet, Peter that day doesn't say, listen to your dreams and visions. He, he is grounded in God's word, the Old Testament word that proclaims Christ boldly to these people. It's such a twisting of scripture. And again, his approach is very interesting usually evangelical preachers are spot on with their their references you know they're like out of this book of the bible this this chapter this verse usually the problem is proof texting he's he's vague texting and he's vague texting because if you actually read it and you read it in its context you'd say well that doesn't make any sense because peter is preaching the word of god not from a dream that he was given he's preaching it from the actual scripture that he grew up learning as a little kid in, in Galilee, right? In, in Capernaum or, or wherever he grew up. And it's utterly bizarre to me to turn this into, well, you know, just listen to your dreams as if, again, can God speak to you through a dream? Of course he can. We have scriptural examples of that. We test the spirits. This reminds me of Luther and the Zwickau prophets. These three men come to Wittenberg and they're, they've been spreading this new word. And we have a similar thing in our modern age with the new apostolic movement. These are people who say, I've been given a new word by God. And Luther invited them to, to hear what they had to say. And when he realized that what they had to say didn't line up with scripture, he said, you're heretics. Get out of my town and I don't want to ever see you again. So he tested them. He didn't just deny them because they said they were, had a dream or a vision. He said, maybe you are prophets. What, who am I to control what God does? And, and okay, fair enough. He says, but the second they said something out of line with scripture, he said, no, you clearly are a false prophet. And what do we have in the Old Testament? We have people that say what people's itching ears want to hear, and they claim to be prophets. And and then you have true prophets, which are often reviled. How do you tell the difference? It's those who line themselves up with 
what God's word says. Um, just a few uh, thoughts. Uh, number one, does the Bible affirm it? Does the Bible okay. affirm it? God has given us his word, right? And so in his word, um, we see the character of God. Uh, we see the ultimate really plan and purpose of God in scripture. And so we, we, we have been given so much. So whenever we feel God speaking to us, right? The word of God um, is where we go to first. So I wanna... This goes back to what Pastor Ross said earlier about enthusiasm. This is looking for God. This is feelings. So notice what happened there. It's first you feel like God is speaking to you. Then you go to the scriptures to affirm what God spoke to you. So already we've already got the, um, the steps, as it were, backwards. What, what happens if what God spoke to you isn't affirmed? I don't think he talks about that. I, I'm sure you'll find some way to affirm it. If we've heard, I mean, there are so many ways that people will twist scripture to affirm it. Oh, well, you're right. And so you have to do it in the right order. What does God's word say? And now what am I, what, what, in this current situation I'm in, what does that mean? Not in the current situation I'm in, what does God's word mean in that? I, I'm just curious because he set up your entire salvation by having a quote-unquote quality quiet time right you know you're saved when you hear god's word and how do you hear god's word well you just this this is what you do to set up quiet time i, I don't remember ever reading that in scripture so i want to give you some scriptures proverbs 14 12 this is the good news bible are you ready what you think is the right road may lead to death how many of that's pretty scary what you think is a right road may lead, right, to death. Some of you go, well, that's intense. Well, what about, you know, what you think is the right, right thing might lead to the death of that relationship or the death of that opportunity or the death, right, of, uh, of that thing, what you think is the right road. So how do we know what is right? How do we know what God is speaking to us individually versus to what God is speaking to his church corporately? versus what God is speaking to his children throughout all of history, how do we know? Um, we have to ask that when we sense God speaking to us specifically, we have to ask ourselves, does the Bible affirm it? Because what one person thinks, right, um, may not lead ultimately or produce uh, righteousness. Here's 1 John 4, 1. We're, we're about to get into it right here. Don't believe everything you hear just because someone says it a message from God. That includes Pastor Kent. That includes yes, it all does. of you here. You should have your Bibles. <laughs> you should be taking notes. You should literally leave City Church talking about the passages, talking about the, the text, talking about what you believe God has said in his word um, that, that we've shared. You should also be testing to make sure that I'm preaching the truth, that I'm preaching the gospel. I'm thinking of how Paul kind of explicitly lays out that Proverbs text when he says, um, uh, you know, Greeks seek wisdom, uh, Jews seek signs, but the cross is a is foolishness to to the Greeks and a stumbling block to to Jews, um, which was actually uh, my my preaching text last night for for our midweek Lent service. Oh, it's fresh um, in your mind. It it really is, and and so. Um, the world sits there and says, this is the way for life. And, and God says, no, that way is death. 
self-aggrandizement, self-pleasure, idol, uh, idolization of self is, is death. Worship of God, uh, faith in God, trust in God is life, even though what does it look like? It looks like the cross. Um, it looks like suffering. It looks like being mocked. It looks like um, being persecuted. Um, yet that is the, the way of life. And so he's just, I don't know. He, he was very accurate when he said um, something to the effect of don't listen to me. Um, everybody in that congregation should not listen to this sermon. Ouch. Um, and so um, the Bible says that you are to do that. So this is intense. Anyone who wants to do God's will, right, says can test this teaching and know whether it is from God or whether I'm making it up. That's John 7, 17. Let's go to the screen here. John 7, 17, anyone who wants to do God's will. Is there anyone here who wants to do God's will? If you wanna do God's will, how many know first you have to hear and understand and receive God's word so that you can know ultimately what his will is for your life. So that's terrible news. I mean, that is, that is condemnation right there. Not only are you not in God's family, as we heard earlier, if you don't hear from God, but now you can't even, now you can't even do his will unless you hear from him. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does this mean? The good and gracious will of God is done even without our prayer, but we pray in this petition that it may be done among us also. How is God's will done? God's will done. God's will is done when he breaks and hinders every evil plan and purpose of the devil, the world, and our sinful nature, which do not want us to hallow God's name or let his kingdom come. And when he strengthens and keeps us firm in his word and faith until we die, this is his good and gracious will. If you want to know what God's will is, it's for you to be a Christian, to, to believe in Christ and, and hold on to his forgiveness and salvation. I want to throw my computer, which is not a good thing. <laughs> that John text that he's quoting, always be careful of the proof texter. Well, and you you coined a new word here with this vague texture a few minutes ago. I've got to keep that in mind. Well, That's great. It's, it's but, its own thing. But guess what he did? You can't tell based upon uh, you don't see the screen that uh, that I'm watching while he's preaching. But we've talked about this before. He even said, I'm reading from the New uh, Living Translation mm. with that uh, verse from Proverbs. Good, uh, good news translation. Good news translation. Oh. Thank you. But then when he put this other one on the screen, NIV. Right. Because he's picking and choosing the translation that, that best suits the point he's trying to make. Exactly. Instead of working with a, a good translation, which I will still have flaws, and working within that. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we do learn Greek and well, I mean, we learn Hebrew. I, I, I wouldn't say I necessarily retain all that I learned. But the whole question, see, you always have to be like, what is God giving answer to? This is important. And he says, uh, he's, at the, he's at the Feast of Booths, and he's going out and he's teaching. And the Jews marvel saying, how is it this man has learning when he has never studied? Well, I mean, that's a, and that's a, like they're saying, you're not coming from our normal avenues. Rabbis typically have certificates and, and bona fides and all of those things. And Jesus answers them, my diploma on my wall isn't the thing. And even for us as Lutheran pastors, I, I very my education matters because it equips me, but I'm not a good pastor because I have a certificate on my wall saying that I went to Concordia Theological Seminary, the one seminary where we study theology. But 
he says, if anyone will do God's will, will he know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking of my own, on my own authority? He's saying, test me. And how does he say to test me? He says, well, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, speaks the truth, and then there is no falsehood. And then he immediately says, has not Moses given you the law? So he's not talking about some weird mystical connection. He's saying, you know I'm true because I'm in line with God, how God has spoken in history. In many and various ways, God has spoken to us by the prophets. But now in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. That's exactly, that's exactly where we should be, but that's not where he's at. Um, Luke 21, 33 says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Proverbs 12, 19, truth stands the test of time. Galatians 1, 8, let God's curse fall on anyone, including myself, who preaches any other message, even if an angel comes from heaven and preaches any other message, let him be forever cursed. Galatians 1, 8. So does the Bible affirm it? Like, let me give you an example here. Now, this is where, uh, you know, I mean, obviously, as I listened to this sermon the first time, I just thought, oh, man. But then when he uses this example, so do what you can to control yourself, okay? And uh, keep your, uh, don't throw your computer at the wall, Pastor Ross. We'll let him spin this entire argument out, okay? So prepare yourself. Um, and I use this example a lot, but it's the best, I think, cultural example. Um, in, in, in church doctrine, there, there are divisions. So there are divisions of Christianity um, based on their doctrine or how, what they believe and how they practice what they believe. For example, there's some um, divisions of Christianity that believe that women should be silent in church. And there are Christian men that think, right, that they should not just be silent in church, but they should just be silent. How come only men are laughing? And, and then again, you're looking at me like you have never heard this before. Um, but it's true. Uh, there, there are, and you know where they get it from? One, everyone say one scripture. Now listen, one scripture, one scripture in the Bible is dangerous, right? Come on, don't act like you've just read one scripture, right? And try to make it God's, you know, specific word. I know some of you, you're like, God speak, I'm ready. <laughs> wow, this is good. Whoever fears God will avoid extremes. Wow, that's pretty good. That's kind of extreme, right? And so... You know, you just kind of will, you know, God speak, or we'll, we'll grab a hold of a word, but we need to test and make sure. So does it, right? Um, does the Bible affirm it? Now, here's what you do. You have to take it one scripture, and then you measure it throughout the entire scripture. So like, for example, okay, women should be silent. Now, what do we do now? Let's go, go throughout history. What happens if Ruth is silent? What happens if Esther is silent? What happens, right, uh, if, um, you know, what happens if Mary Magdalene, when she comes to the tomb and the angel appears and says, uh, why do you seek the living among the dead? Jesus is no longer here. Go tell my disciples, right? What would happen if she would have been like, well, I can't because there's this idea culturally that's going on, right, that I should be silent. What's the problem with that right there? 
Well, he's he's come up with the solution. So he's right. Scripture interprets scripture, although he his terminology is weird. Like we measure it according to scripture. And uh, what's well, actually what Pastor Ross says, he's using description to create prescription uh, and, and vice versa. And yeah, that's not right. I mean, and, and he even conflated. He said, oh yeah, well, but the Bible says women should be silent in church, which means they shouldn't be teachers. I mean, this is how we've, we've read that scripture because we look in the totality of scripture. And that's one of the beautiful things of our confession is that they address these issues from every direction that they need to be addressed from. One, there's multiple scriptures that lay out the qualifications to be a pastor, and it's a man. Um, two, yeah, just, just to completely agree with with uh, Pastor Oakry there. Um, my goodness, talk talk about taking something out of text. And, you know, to, to use his example here, let, let's look throughout history. Um, nuns have for centuries taught the faith. They haven't preached, they haven't administered the sacraments, but they've taught Bible studies, they've taught children in schools and things like that. Um, ministry is not the same as the office of the Holy ministry or, or the office of the keys, so to speak. Um, there, there is not a conflation. There, there are lots of ministries. There, there, there's lots, lots of ministry work. There is only one pastoral office, the office of the overseer or presbyter, however your Bible translates that. While, while the office of holy ministry is a part of ministry, it is not the only ministry. Right on. I would say, and you said it, taking it out of context, all those examples he gave have nothing to do with what women are supposed to do in the church. You know, Esther, I mean, it has nothing to do with the church. Uh, Mary Magdalene seeing the risen uh, or the empty tomb of the risen Lord, that had nothing to do with the church. I mean, he's, he is creating, is this a straw man? No, I think straw man is the right answer. He's, okay. he's, creating, a, he's creating an argument that isn't the argument people make and maybe and maybe he's right maybe there are some people that say when women shouldn't talk at all well that's not scriptural so right why are we even why are we even gathering that into the conversation well he's doing it to weaken what he's against well it gets worse gentlemen i don't know if he's biblically literate enough to make a strong man argument with scripture Mm. the angel appears and says uh, why do you seek the living among the dead jesus is no longer here go tell my disciples Right? What would happen if she would have been like, well, I can't because there's this idea culturally that's going on, right, that I should be silent, right? Now, it would have been great if Eve would have never had that conversation, right, in the garden, but that's not the point, right? The point is, is you got to look, right, throughout the scope of Scripture, and you'll find that the character of God, the nature of God, Um, The promises of God, the goodness of God do not change. But what you will see is that the way we receive God's word and understand it change because of our context or even our culture. And so we live in a time now where we clearly know there's even theories that the Apostle Paul had broken relationships. So that's why if you read Apostle Paul, he's like, in the Bible, he's like, for those of you that are married and have wives, live as though you have none because time is short. What does that have to do with nothing, anything? Nothing. I, I have a question yep. uh, for you guys. The prophetess Anna that takes Jesus at his uh, his presentation at the temple. Yep. What is her function at the temple? Well, she has no it, formal function. Exactly right. Who who has the formal function? The the priests. 
would have the formal function of, of and, offering the sacrifice. And and who are the priests? Males. And, the sons and of Levites. Levi. Yeah, well, the sons of Aaron. Um, yeah, and that's I mean that's an important point is of course we acknowledge in scripture that there are some there is sometimes given an immediate call. Um Diana steps into a a role that is not natural to her because frankly the the person who's supposed to be stepping into that role won't do it and there are references to uh prophetesses in the old testament and the new but they are passingly rare and again we don't use this descriptive term to determine a uh, entire prescription for how the church is supposed to work just because there was a prophetess named anna in in the temple doesn't mean that the entire uh, Levitical priesthood was annulled. That wasn't annulled until Christ came along with as the true high priest. Similarly, none of this annuls the the pastoral role, which is prescribed. And of course, there are women who can teach God's word and can know God's word nobly and and all of these things. But it is a headship issue, and and that's part of the reason why. Who does Satan attack? He attacks Eve because that's the the breaking down of that entire uh, important relationship. So, so Anna, what, what she is, is it, it's kind of an irregular role, which actually doesn't factor into the public worship, the corporate worship of the people of Israel, which goes back to the whole, there's lots of ministry out there. There's one you know, pastor office, but there's lots of ministry out there. Um, On the flip side, it's like, what about husbands? So which one? Do I listen to Paul or Jesus? Let me just, let's just do a vote. How many of you, right, if you have to listen, right, to Paul or Jesus, how many of you go with Jesus, right? And then you can just go all the way back, right? You can go all the way back throughout Scripture. Then you can find the Father, the Son. You'll find the Holy Spirit all kind of disagree with Paul. So what do we do? We give Paul grace because he is not, right, Jesus. He's not the Father. He's not the Spirit. And so we give them some grace, and then we understand, oh, well, here's what actually was going on. Churches were so packed because people were so excited to hear that the Messiah had come. So when you understand it, culturally, men and women sat separately, and what was going on was the women were so excited to hear about the Savior that had come that they started breaking protocol, and they started running up or over to where the men sat, and they were asking them questions, and Paul is like, look, I know, ladies, that you're really excited about this gospel, but what you need to do is, is you need to be quiet, wait till you get home, and then your husbands, right, uh, will be able to celebrate with you this glorious news and gospel. Um, and so, and then there's other, but that's, everyone say one example. One example. So you got to look throughout scripture, right? Like, for example, you're like, God, should I pay my taxes? All right, before he moves off of this, I, you know... I think you're right, Pastor Ross. He just cannot make a biblical argument here, can he? He just he just completely erased scripture. Yeah, he did because he's even though Paul said all scripture is God breathed, uh, he basically just said, uh, you know, you need to be one of those red letter only Christians. So I have my quiet time, and I feel like God is saying something to me, and I go and I look for it in scripture, but it's not there. Um, or, or there's a point of scripture that actually contradicts it, that must be part of the scripture that's actually in conflict with Jesus. So it's not actually scripture. So I get to choose. I've just set myself up as the authority of scripture. He's, he's proving where he's coming at from this. Uh, 
when he talks about well there's theories out there about who paul was (laughs) well yes we have lots of theories about paul uh and we're we're scripture alone but when you look at how that scripture has been handled and interpreted through history and having a sense of that how it's been lived out and known in the church it takes a lot of uh, uh gall to stare down your nose at the people who did understand the actual cultural context of that time and that place i there's there's nothing explicitly that says the early church divided itself men and women i'm not saying that that's not possible but to say that's the broad context of how church worked that's certainly something that is reflected in Jewish culture today, and it wouldn't surprise me that in certain other Jewish contexts it would, but in a Gentile context, would, is that necessarily so? I don't think so. And it certainly wasn't uh, part of the context uh, that the uh, Jerusalem Council said, we're going to define the terms of what it means to be a Christian by how the men and the women divide themselves. And so he's gathering up stuff from people who will say what he wants them to say, and he won't listen to the people who say what he doesn't want to hear. And he makes his case. Well, this is this is how we often act. And I get that. But it it's abusing scripture and forming it into a form that, that scripture does not intend to take. And it's wicked. It's wicked. To say Paul, as a deliverer of God's word, just needs some grace from us because he didn't understand the sexual politics of the 21st century I mean, that's that's blasphemy of the first order Ouch. and and he needs and he really like that at this point uh he needs to be fled from because what what won't this guy say if it that won't please his own itching ears because mm. there's lots of stuff that scripture says that i wish wasn't true or i wish was true but i don't shape scripture scripture shapes me and he's and he says that but then he says actually right let's listen to a bunch of theories right let's listen to a bunch of outside input on this and let's have this very sophisticated view we've always had a very clear understanding of this it isn't that women aren't allowed to talk at all that's bizarre and, and a straw man but it is always it has never been that women are just given carte blanche in the church. There is a there is the pastoral ministry, and it is for men. And that is, it goes all the way back to Adam and even creation. And and for him to just ignore that and to act like he knows better, because it suits him. Mm-hmm. But this is this is a pain that the evangelical church is going through because this is what just happened in the past year at Saddleback, the biggest evangelical church. Well, I guess the biggest church in the he joined the Southern Baptists, but. Uh, I'm sure that a lot of evangelicals look to Saddleback for uh, and Rick, Rick Warren uh, for direction. And they say, well, if Rick Warren thinks it's okay, and I'm, I'm not, I, and I don't know if that's in the background of this, but it sure feels like it. Well, I've got bad news for you. Jesus said, render unto Caesars what is Caesars. So if you're asking God, God, should I pay my taxes? Well, I don't hear anything. So does that mean it's my decision? No, it's not your decision. The Bible's clear right? It talks about obeying and submitting to governing authorities. The Bible talks about paying your bills. The Bible talks about being a good steward. The Bible talks about owing no man nothing. Can I get an amen from somebody? So does the Bible, right? So the question is, is if we want to have a good, right, and healthy heart that can receive, we have to first, right, ask ourselves, does the Bible affirm it? Um, Secondly, here's another question. 
when you're gonna receive a word or an impression or a seed or a message that you feel like God's talking to you is to, if I receive this word and I act on it, does it make me more like Jesus? So with that being said, how does me selling my house because the Lord told me to sell my house or the Lord told me to tell my wife to quit her job, how does that make us more like Jesus? I believe there's a, a Bible passage where Jesus says, you know, uh, birds have nests, foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So if you sell your house, you're going to be more like the, oh, the Son of Man. Oh, that's it. Okay. And and if your wife quits her job, then you don't have any income and you have to rely on people to give give you stuff just like Jesus, you know, relied oh. on, on the generosity of his disciples wow. to, you know, take care of him as well. So if gotcha. you want to be really, really holy, um, go be homeless. Go and sell all your possessions. And right? follow me. I'm, I yeah. bet I mean, he's not, he's not paying attention to that part of the tax, is he? <laughs> <laughs> the problem here is that there's no Christ there's no cross. There's no forgiveness. There's right. no mercy. There's right. no grace. Right. If it's all about you cultivating your heart, all he has is the law, and he's picking and choosing which law he's going to keep. And he certainly is not going to say to these people, I'm, I should be in poverty as your pastor. Mm. Right. In fact, I'm sure he'll quote, the laborer deserves his wages. And I'm just like, well, Peter said, we abandon everything to follow you, Lord. So maybe uh, this guy needs to get off his high horse. But this is the point, the, the, the cross and the grace and the forgiveness it gives is the answer to all of this. And he has mentioned Christ and the cross not once, that, that I can remember. But when you make the law accomplishable, which is what he has done by putting these people on this treadmill of quiet time, you don't need Christ anymore because you can work out your salvation. You can earn it. You search scripture in vain because it speaks of me and he hasn't found jesus yet in scripture so it's exactly your point well, pastor ross he, he's found jesus to sit there and oppose paul but that's it in your lives you must think and act like christ jesus isn't that a little bit overwhelming you must think and act like jesus look at this we take every thought captive so that it is obedient to christ Third, here's a practical one that most Christians just completely ignore when God's speaking. Third, does my church family affirm it? You know, what, you know how they made decisions in the early church? It seems good to us and the Holy Spirit. It seems good to us and the Holy Spirit. It seems good to us and the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you, if you feel like you got a word from God, right? And the Bible doesn't affirm it. And it's not making you more like Jesus. And then third, people are like, are you sure about that? Are you sure about it? the Bible, right? Um, gives us some really practical instructions on this. Look at this, Ephesians 3.10. God's intent is that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. Through the church. Yeah, through the church. Isn't that the reading of Scripture in the church? Well, did, his definition what, of church is wrong. Oh, Did did I miss a part in Acts 4 where Ananias and Sapphira 
held a congregational meeting about how they were supposed to sell their land and give the proceeds then to the church. Or at least all the other people selling their goods and giving them to the church, right? And really, all we're talking about is there is there is our God-endowed wisdom and the running of the church. That's why the church has councils and committees still today, because we understand that God works through these means. And it's utterly befuddling for him to turn the church into, well, I don't know what his definition of the church is, but I love the Lutheran definition. It's wherever the word is preached. And the sacraments are rightly administered. Right, yeah. Preached in his uh, truth and purity? Yeah, yeah. I don't don't know. If I have to have a voters meeting every time somebody wants to sell their house or take a new job or, you know, they're 16, so they're looking for their first job, um, I might just go crazy. You're going to be at church a lot. <laughs> Proverbs 11:9, the wisdom of the righteous can save you. You want to know what the wisdom the wisdom is the practical application of knowledge. The wisdom of the righteous can save you. Proverbs 11:9, in the multitude of counselors there is safety. Is my church family affirming? Um, you know, I believe with all my heart, God blesses us by bringing godly people into our lives. You know, but when we don't give them permission, right, to pray with us, um, to participate in a godly process with us, we can open ourselves up to self-deception, and we can end up on an island all by uh, ourselves. Um, and so I want to encourage you, get in a small group. I want to encourage you, find Christian friends that you can Talk about God's word. Find a new talk church. Talk about what God is saying to you. You can talk about it and invite them in to pray with you, to believe with you, to study the scripture with you uh, so that you can get clarity. Does my church family okay. affirm it? In the multitude of counselors can you, there. Can you feel it? You, you hear what's happening as he's talking? I don't know. I just feel more spirit-filled all of a sudden. All right, because the Holy Spirit is now descending upon the audience to make a decision. Because what he's getting ready to do after he's just delivered these Here's three, one. three he's things. Of my business. Now he's still giving examples here, but uh, he's going to give an invitation and ask people Thank if you. they're uh, hearing uh, God, uh, call them to say lie, repent like, pa- let you pause and, and accept Jesus it, into their heart. Yeah. You know, Christians sometimes are, so, are way um, too nosy for their own good. Yeah, keep going. He is right on on one aspect, right? Or or, I shouldn't say he's right. Scripture's right, right? Um, The the wisdom of the righteous can save you. Um, But let's let's break that down. What is the wisdom of the righteous? Well, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight, Proverbs 9.10. I mean, why do we hold up the saints as examples, right? It's it's sinful people living out faith and, and... um, living out the, the grace of God. And, and, you know, when we look at righteous people, well, what makes them righteous? Faith. What would make me righteous? Faith, not works, not head knowledge, so to speak. Um, but but he, is, he is so <laughs> missed the point and completely not only just bulldoze scripture, he he didn't deliver Christ to these people. He he delivered a blunted law to the people that is devoid of any hope because it takes away Christ. 
and he has left people in a worse spot than when they started however long ago that was absolutely absolutely i i was at the and you've both of you gentlemen have seen this uh i was at uh, alta vista uh, for ash wednesday and i'd never been there before and i uh, walked up to the pulpit for the very first time and it had that passage uh, uh sir we wish to see jesus Right there, uh, emblazed upon the uh, uh, the pulpit, nobody else can see it except for me. And wow, what a good reminder when I stand before God's people to uh, preach law and gospel. But the point is, this guy he's not done any of that, and he certainly has missed the boat when it comes to uh, preaching Jesus, hasn't he? Yeah, this Jesus is that he's preaching is very disappointed. He's just looking down at these people, and he's saying. I've, I've given you so much. I've given you such an example. I've given you a way to live. And here you are, just like clods. Well, even more so, I'm trying to speak to you, yeah. but yet you just can't tune me in. Like, yeah. I'm doing my best. Yeah. I am yelling really, really loud, yeah. and you won't listen to me. And there's there's no cross. There's no... I love you enough to pray your forgiveness even as I'm suffering and dying. Uh, there's no forgiveness. It's simply, this is therapy, and it's the therapy of, you stunk yesterday, in fact, you stink today, but tomorrow, maybe you won't stink so much, as long as you cultivate it in yourself. Like, and, and this is a good lesson. I mean, and this is what's deeply wrong with this person and why you should flee from him. This is a false teacher, is... He is, he, he is casting the eyes of everyone listening to them down at their, their belly button. You know what makes us curve inward? Sin. Jesus is the one in forgiveness who lifts our head and says, quit looking at your belly button. Sin makes us navel gazers. Look at, look at my cross and see, see what I've already done for you. You are forgiven. Why would you want the Jesus he's selling? If you're not good enough for Jesus to talk to you, why would you want the Jesus he's selling at the end of the sermon? If, if you listen through all of that. Because sin makes us stupid, but it's a really bad Jesus nonetheless. Well, I don't think we need to listen to any more of this guy. I think it's uh, it's just going to keep spiraling down and uh, and probably going faster as it, uh, as it spirals. So what do you got to say here, uh, Pastor Ross, to the, to the people? And then we'll end with you, Pastor Oakry. What, what's uh, rolling around in your head? I would say if, if you want to explore this topic more about um, hearing God, to pick up a copy of Luther's Small Catechism with explanation or not, go through and read the petitions to the Lord's Prayer, especially the, the first few about his kingdom, his will, and, and, and things like that. And then um, if you want something for further listening, um, the, the the Being Lutheran podcast that goes through those petitions as well and just how god has spoken to you in his law in his gospel how he has come to you and, and just the amazingness of it that it, it's not a work you have to do this is what jesus means when he says you know my yoke is easy my burden is light he replaces our works righteousness with his salvation because he did the work and it, it's not up to me. It's not up to me with this continual treadmill of crappy law. But he's already 
he's already come and given me the good gifts. And he, and he tells me where I can go and find those gifts on a regular basis and be reminded of those gifts on a regular basis and to, to experience him, to hear his word. And it's just, it's so much more amazing than whatever this guy was just trying to do. I cannot agree any more than what you have said. Uh, you are exactly right. I would say if somebody were to pick up a small catechism, something else that they might be interested in is The Lutheran Difference, a book from CPH, Mm -hmm. The Lutheran Difference. Interestingly enough, chapter one on The Lutheran Difference deals with God's Word, and chapter two deals with law and gospel. And so just right there in those you know, 60 pages, uh, you just get this avalanche of wonderful information to pull us away, as Pastor Oakry said, from staring at our navels. Pastor Oakry, what would you add to the conversation here? There is some truth, at least adjacent to what this man has said about uh, being in a church and being surrounded by fellow believers. The Bible affirms that backwards and forwards. Uh, But what makes the church isn't that we're surrounded by other believers as much as what we are we are surrounding, which is word and sacrament. Uh, the word preached rightly, the sacraments administered correctly. And all of that is the promises of God given to us. We are poor, miserable sinners, but we are forgiven. It, it breaks my heart that there was no room for Christ on the cross in this sermon. There was no pointing to Jesus. You need to hear Jesus, and you need to be pointed to him. That's his word. All of his word is about Christ. He's promised there at the beginning of sin. He's the offspring of the woman, and he's the lamb uh, around whom our eternal worship will uh, be focused. And in that truth, uh, there's nothing better. And uh, we would all do well to avoid anybody who would preach this self-focused. If you you need help with something in life, there's a lot of self-help books at Barnes & Noble. Or even better, you can get a brewery pretty cheap or for free at the library. So <laughs> uh, when you're in God's word, be seeking forgiveness, not not guidance for living life uh, first and foremost. And you know, this is played out in a very practical way, is it not? When we go to a Lutheran church and, uh, you know, the three of us stand before the congregation and we, at our various congregations, and we uh, we read the scriptures and we read them out loud. And the people have been well catechized uh, over the years to respond by saying what? Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. God just spoke to you just now. At your church, Pastor Oakry, uh, God sounds like one who has these soft, dulcet tones. Pastor Ross, at your church, uh, you sound like, uh, I don't even know what to say, you sound like too, God too is much from, coffee. Okay, <laughs> God's had too much coffee. And, uh, you know, for me, wherever I might be, and I read the scriptures and the people say, thanks be to God, you know, God to them sounds like a, a redneck Kermit the Frog. So, but this is still God speaking to them. Yeah. And we're not looking outside of ourselves, as Pastor Ross said earlier. We're not looking outside of ourselves. God just came to me audibly. He just spoke to me directly. I acknowledge that as being God, and I say, thank you. Thanks for speaking to me. It's quite beautiful. That, just, just the whole liturgical worship in general, the words that you are saying all the time are Scripture. The, uh, right, and, right. You know. 
singing it or saying it. This is why we get angry when we listen to these guys, because we've been called to preach God's law and God's gospel. And so when we hear somebody that is supposed to have that calling and they take away Jesus from people, when they take away the assurance of salvation from people, it, it makes us angry um, because in our mind, there's almost no greater sin than, than to do that, than, than to take away Christ from people that need Christ. Amen. No, amen. I, you, you hit it. And I would just say, uh, just to echo, and I don't think it's that, uh, it's kind of a, a, a tertiary uh, thing compared to what you just said, but you do not want to get on that treadmill. Because I guarantee you, somebody's going to come along and crank up the speed. You're going to fall, and you're going to fall off the back end, uh, bust up against the wall, break your shins uh, or your ankles, and uh, a great possibility to either hate God, deny the faith altogether, or what have you, because you felt like you were doing what you were told to do. So, well, gentlemen, it's been a great pleasure, and we are going to go out with a little bit of Lyle Lovett here. I promise that. We're all familiar with Lyle Lovett, right? <laughs> well, it's our it's a, the the pastors are dancing here. I don't know why, but uh, you know it's what we do on occasion. On occasion, but there's Lyle Lovett, uh, one of our fellow Lutherans. You've been listening to the Pluck Chicken podcast. Glad you have been, and uh, hopefully we'll catch you another time real soon. been listening to the Pluck Chicken Podcast with your hosts, Pastors Devin Kearns and John Bruss. If you'd like to support the work they do, go to their Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash the Pluck Chicken. Astounding. That was, I think, the worst one you've ever made me listen to. What?